I'm going to do my best to not trip on this mic cord today, but no promises. This may be fun for y'all. Man, I, we got some new faces uh, in here this morning, and so I just want to just kind of give you a little, just a little snippet of us. Um, so Kobe and I don't call each other every week and say, I don't tell him, hey, this is what I'm preaching on. I mean, obviously we're moving through the book of Exodus, and so he, it's kind of obvious where we're going each week. But I didn't call Kobe this week and say, hey, I want you to do these songs, or this is the message that I want to do. And as we, as we spend time together today, if you've got that Faith Life app, those lyrics to those songs we just sang, and those last two in particular, um, man, it's just spot on for what the Lord wants to say to us today. We, we've been, for those that are, that are maybe first or second time with us today, we've been moving through the book of Exodus since the beginning of the year with the intent, our kind of tagline is that we're joining God to set people free. Uh, and what we mean by that is free from legalism, from dead religion. Uh, not that we at the gathering place have figured out how to do church in a new way that's better than everybody else. It's just that we collectively, um, as we have walked with the Lord day in and day out, have come to, to know what it means to live under grace and to have an active living relationship with God, and those experiences have changed our lives, and we can't help but share that with other people. And so when we talk about setting people free, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about helping people to, to get to a place in their relationship with God where they've never been before, where they're experiencing new things and understanding His love for them and how active and alive He is. So if, if you guys have not been paying attention the last um, three Sundays, I wanted to spend today, today I'm going to preach about half the time, um, and then Glenn's going to come up, and, and what I wanted to do today, I was so fired up last week, Chris Kopp came, uh, he's our missionary in Galena, Alaska, he and his wife, and they shared with us. Now, uh, again, Chris and I did not have any conversations about what we were studying this year, where we were in our text, or anything like that. Matter of fact, Chris called me on Friday evening to kind of try to make plans for he and I to get together on Saturday, and he said, oh, by the way, am I still preaching Sunday? And I said, I hope you are, because I don't have anything prepared. Uh, and he's like, no, no, I got it, I got us. Okay, well, that's good. So Chris comes in, and, and he shares, and it's just incredible to me. I preached two weeks prior to that on the beginning of Exodus chapter 4, um, where we see how God is moving Moses into the ministry that God's called him to. Glenn followed up with that the last half of Exodus chapter 4 the next week about some mandatory preparations that God does in our lives before he releases us into ministry, okay? And then Chris Kopp comes in, and he talks about how we are all called to be uh, disciple makers, that that is a, a mandate for all of us, not just for a select few. And I could just see how God is stacking all this stuff up, and we're right in our text. Chapter 5, actually the last verse of chapter 4 is when Moses actually begins to do the work that God's called him to do. Uh, and I love that last verse. I didn't bring it up today because we're going to look at it next week. But at the very end of, of Exodus chapter 4, Moses is obedient to what God calls him to do, and he shares with the Israelites what God has told him, and they believe him. And it's incredible. And we are at a place in ministry here at the gathering place uh, just like Moses was, where God has been speaking this vision to us. He's been very clear about what his call for us as a people uh, is to be and to do and, and, and what God wants for the people in our lives. And, and all of this has been building up, I really feel like, to today. Glenn's going to come up later and he's going to share with you guys some things that God has spoke to him um, about the, the mission in Romania and what God is calling us as a body to do there. And then some other things that God's calling for us to do here locally. But all of that really is, is building up. And so what I wanted to do today was to spend some time, because maybe, maybe you missed a couple of weeks, maybe you just need a reminder. We all need reminders of what God's been saying the last three weeks. Uh, and then I'm going to turn it over to him 
Uh, and so I just want to ask today that you would engage your brains. I know a lot of this you've already heard if you've been in attendance with us, but, but let's just focus in for just a minute and hear, hear again what the Lord's been saying to us. So three weeks ago, I preached on how we are empowered for ministry, that that empowering comes from God, from the Holy Spirit, um, and that God is our qualifier for missions and, and for ministry. It's not that we have a special set of abilities or talents and God says, oh, uh, Kobe's good at music, so I'm going to put him in, in leadership as the worship minister. God does do that, but but most of the time, just like we see in Moses' life, God calls us to a ministry that we are not qualified for, and he says, I'm your qualification for this. And in fact, the things that you're going to need, the resources that you need, the gifts that you need, I'm going to provide those things so that you can accomplish my will, and that people are going to see that it's God doing the activity. So we don't get the credit for it, God gets the credit for it. We talked about how God, as, we, as he moves us into those areas, our, our natural response to those things is fear. That when God calls us into something that we don't know how to do, there's a natural fear that happens, and that's normal, and it's okay. And we see that in Moses' life. Moses says, God, I'm not, I'm not the guy for this. And God said, I know, but I'm going to work. I'm going to be here with you, and I'm going to do it through you. And the Holy Spirit does the same for us. And God gives us experiences with himself. He gives us these, these moments where we, we're asking God, how do you, see, I told you it was going to happen. Asking God, what do you want me to do with my life? And God says, do this thing today. And we obey what God says. And then God does what only he can do. And it makes us fall deeper in love with him. And that builds our confidence. We call that the abiding cycle. We talk about that a lot, how God speaks. We obey his voice. God does a, an incredible work that only he can get credit for. And we all step back and go, wow. Look what God just did here. And those continual cycles, those experiences build our confidence in one, our ability to hear from the Lord and the fact that he is going to do the work through us, that it's not us. And so it calms our fears. Um, we talked again about God is not limited by our abilities or our lack of abilities. Um, a lot of times we look at what God's trying to accomplish and we say, we're not ready for that. And God says, I know, but I am. And so I'm going to move you forward in that. And that we need to spend our time and our energy not worrying about how God's going to accomplish the work, but spend that time and energy pursuing the Lord, praying and asking Him to show us the next step. Let's don't put that energy in negative things like worrying, but let's put that energy in pursuing God. And then when we do that, God is going to give us a clear vision for His call for us personally and corporately as a body. Okay? Um, and we talked about how God's call for your life is, is yours. And you can't give that away to somebody else. You can't excuse that away and say, well, I'm not ready yet. My life's not in the right spot. You know, people always, you know, the, the joke is people say, well, we can, we're not going to have kids till we can afford them. And then you have your first child and figure out you never could have afforded them. And it's okay, right? That's just how life works. Well, we're never, we're never going to feel ready because the things that God's calling us to are way bigger than we are right? God calls us to God-sized things. He doesn't call Will to Will-sized things because then Will would get the credit and Will's pride would pump up because look what I, look at this great thing that I just did. So God calls us to things that are huge and then he prepares us for that. And then we talked about at the end of that, in order for us to be the church that God is calling us to be both here at TGP West but also globally, in order for the church to be the church that God needs them to be, it requires for each of us individually to be obedient to God. That, that God has given us all a task and is expecting that we, that we do those things. But we want our motivation. Let me be clear about this. We want our motivation to be that we're doing these things because we love God, not because God said you have to. Okay? That's, we always want our motivation to be in the right place. And, 
And that if we're disobedient, that what we're really doing is robbing ourselves of these incredible experiences of knowing God in the way that he wants to reveal himself to us because we're choosing to not do it. So that was week one. Week two, um, Glenn talked about some mandatory preparations. This is the last half of chapter four. It gets a little weird in there with some of the, some of the storyline and, and, uh, between Moses and his wife. Um, but we talked about that, that God is the one that's doing the delivering of people. We see this sin that's in Moses' life that God is that's so serious that God is willing to kill Moses, this man that he has spent uh, all of Moses' life preparing for ministry, chooses to disobey God, and it's such a serious offense that it's, that it's worth his death. And, but then that, that his wife steps in uh, and takes care of things for him. But, but God is the one that's doing, doing the work. It's not us. And we keep saying that over and over and over again because our flesh keeps saying over and over and over again, I'm not ready, we can't do this. And God's saying, I know, let me do it, okay? We talked about, Glenn, I, I love this, it was so good, that, that our call as a people is not to work an occupation, right? Our call is not about our job. God may use that job as an avenue to put us where he needs us to be, when he needs us to be there, but that vocation is not necessarily the end goal, okay? We looked at how God had put Moses um, in, in that place with his wife and with his family and, and let him be a shepherd, and he did that for a lot of years, but then when God called him to this ministry of going to Exodus and bringing the Hebrew people out, that God released him from his job, God released him from his family obligations, and, and then Moses then took his family and he left his home. I love that Chris pointed out last week, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, that one of the biggest hindrances to missions is the American dream, this idea that we all have to be together all the time. Glenn talked about if we're going to be the people that join God to set other people free, that, it's, that it is mandatory that we move God's call for our lives up the priority list in our life. If, if our priorities... Um, or, you know, like this, and God's call is way down here underneath, like, you know, my job and my extracurricular activities, that God's not going to be able to accomplish work in your life because you're never going to have time because you're not making time for it. And we need to move God's call up in our priority list, and it needs to be very near the top, okay? And, and you need to pray about that. Pray If you're married, pray with your spouse and say, what, what are the things that God's calling us to, to put lower than God's call? What do we need to spend our time and our focus, our energy, our resources on doing? Um, and then a mandatory step of this process, obviously, is that we go and do the work. God is calling us. He's been very clear to our body that there is a work. He has called us to, to plant churches. He's called us to set people free. And in order for us to do that, we have to do it, right? God has given us that call, okay? And that God is going to work through us in a way that is obvious to the rest of the world, that it's him doing the work and it's not us. Glenn ended that message um, with the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Anna's going to put it up on the screen for you. I, I just want to draw your attention to this because it was so good. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is the one with the authority. And he tells his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always into the end of the age. So again, we are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to do the work. He's the one with the authority. But he's given the call to us and he's given us the promise that if we will be obedient and go and do the work that he has called us to do, he is going to be with us and he will work through us. And so we don't have to rely on our own abilities, on our own talents uh, or lack thereof. Okay? We, we must remind ourselves and be reminded by God to stay the course. 
that when things get hard, don't think, well, I've missed it. It might just be that God's got you in a hard place because he's doing a work in your life. Typically, that's a good indication that God's doing something. If life is really hard, it's because God is doing something in your life, and it's uncomfortable because God's doing things that are godly, and we're not godly people most of the time, okay? And then last week, Chris talked about how we are called to be disciple makers. He referenced a story out of Romans chapter 15 where Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he said, look, I I haven't met you guys before. I've heard great things about you. Here's some things, some theology things that are really, really important. But by the way, I'm coming to you, okay? I've, I've started in Jerusalem. I've gone all the way across Greece, and the gospel has been spread. And he says, I've completed my work there. And I love that Chris pointed out that what he meant by that was not that every person from Jerusalem to Greece was a believer, but that in every place between those two, there were disciples there. And the expectation was that those disciples we're going to follow the Great Commission, and they were going to make more disciples. And so uh, Paul is saying, I haven't met you there yet. I'm coming to Rome. I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to get to know you guys. And then I'm asking that you will send me to Spain because the gospel has not been spread there yet. Right? And that our call, right, as a body. Uh, and again, I didn't tell Chris this is, this is what we're doing, right? This is something that God spoke to Chris, and he came into our church and said, this is what God is saying. Okay? So we got the same message again Chris brings out the Great Commission, right? We read it again two weeks in a row. Y'all, if that's God saying, it's time. I, in the, as the Holy Spirit, is living inside of you, I'm telling you to make disciples, be disciple makers. And all I'm asking you to do is just willing, be willing to say yes, and I'm going to do the work through you, okay? I love that Chris talked about how um, there's this idea that, that we have fellows who are people that do life around us, and then there are dear fellows, people that, are, that we would consider like best friends. And that the way that we make disciples is not that we go out to those fellows and we just spit a bunch of truth in their life, but we take those fellows, we draw them into our lives, we love them. We love them, and sometimes for a long time. And we move them from just being a fellow to being a dear fellow, where we have the right to be heard in their lives, And they know that our motivation is not just to make a convert, but to help them to become a disciple. That they would have these same experiences that maybe they live vicariously through us for a short time until they they get hungry for it and they go, man, look at what God is doing in these people's lives. I think I want that. And then they say, hey, God, tell me to do something, right? They ask God for something in their lives and God gives them a word, they move on that, and then they get their own God-exclusive activity, and they begin to, to develop these same experiences just like we do. And, and they become disciples. God, again, Chris talked about the American dream as kind of the inverse or the antithesis of the gospel. That The American dream says, work really hard for yourself, uh, go to school, get a good job, make a lot of money, buy all the things you want, retire early, and enjoy your life here on earth. Where the gospel says... Um, live sacrificially, give away as much as you possibly can, love people, let life be about others and not about yourself. Don't have, maybe don't have a retirement plan. Maybe spend your life focused not on what you can gain for yourself, but what you can give other people. And it, that's going to be revolutionary for our culture and for our society, but it's going to be hard for us because we've got to release that American dream and say, God, this life is not about me anymore. It's not about what I want and what I want to gain, but what can I give away? God is moving us both individually and corporately in some really exciting ways. But all of it is dependent upon us being willing to say, yes, God, I will do this thing that you're asking me to do. 
Chris was calling for it. He told me the other day he's been praying for a youth minister for two years to Galena, Alaska. Okay, He talked about how there are more than 6,000 unreached people groups in the world. And the biggest unreached people group in the world is the United States. And, and Alaska, that less than you say, less than 8% of people in Alaska go to church. There's a huge need there, but the reason people don't go to Alaska is because Alaska's hard. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today that, that the reason that there are not more disciples is because disciple-making is hard because it requires us to live selfishly. It's not an easy thing to do. But again, all we got to do is be willing to say, yes, I will do it, and then let the Holy Spirit live through us. And I can tell you from personal experience that when you live sacrificially, when you put other people's uh, lives, when you put the love for them, you put the call of God in a, in a higher level of priority, it is such a blessing. It is such a blessing to have one sit at the table in your home and cry together as they are going through something difficult and them knowing that they are loved, not because we're special people, but because we're living a hard life right alongside of them. And that God is blessing us, not financially necessarily, but in that we get to have these incredible relationships with people, right? And God is, is continually building those relationships, and we get to spread this incredible thing that we've experienced, that the fact that God is real and he's alive and he's working in us, we get to share that with other people. So today, Glenn's going to come up. He's going to share some opportunities, some things that, that God has been speaking about Romania. Okay, And here's what I want to ask you guys to do. As you're listening, I want you to be praying as well. Make some notes. Begin to ask God, God, what are you calling me individually to do? Because next week, we're going to move into chapter 5 of Exodus. Okay, And what happens in chapter 5 is that Moses begins to do the work. Right, He goes to the Israelites first, but the next thing that happens, he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh shuts him down. And he begins this long process of doing a really hard thing, of going and getting rejected over and over and over again. And people suffer as a result of his obedience. But he knows that God has called him to that. Okay, And, and so our hearts need to be in the right place. Because if we're going to join God to set people free, it's going to require for us to do some hard things and go to some hard places. And our hearts need to be ready. And the only way that happens is by us daily spending time with the Lord and saying, God, what is my role to play in this process? What are you asking me personally to do? And then obeying that. Okay? So I'm really excited to hear some personal stories from you guys. Glenn, go ahead and come on up, um, and I'm going to let him take over from here. All right? few years ago, Rowdy McClung, some of y'all know Rowdy. Rowdy and I went and sat in on a, uh, on a prison conference for training out at the, at the Pollock Prison. And when we were sitting there, the, uh, there were a couple of Cajun boys that came from South Louisiana. I can talk about Cajuns because I are one. All right, I grew up in Rain, Louisiana. It's the heart of Cajun, Cajun country. But one thing about us as Cajuns, it doesn't matter how much information we got. If we got a little bit of information, we are professionals. And we are experts on the whole field of information, right? So just a little bit of something, and then now we're the professionals. And so uh, these guys came all the way from South Louisiana. They apparently had their own little ministry in a number of places in South Louisiana, and they, were, they taught other people about how to do volunteer work. Okay, it wasn't ministry, but vol volunteer work in the prisons. So they, they had some places where they would go and train people. So... Uh, so the whole time that we were there, the first, the, right at the beginning of the conference, the guy asked that was leading the conference, he said, would say a statement. Does anybody have any questions at the end of each little section? And the very first time, boy, one of them raised their hand. And the man called on him, and he was sitting in the front, and I was kind of in the back where the rest of you are. 
And so he says, uh, he raises his hand, and the guy calls on him. He turns around and looks at everybody else. And he says, what that man said right there, that's true. We teach that at our conferences. Go ahead. <laughs> and they did that about four or five times until every time they raised their hand, Roddy and I would just bust out laughing, you know. But that's Cajuns for you, right? Well, last week, I found myself looking back the whole time that <laughs> Chris was speaking. I was going like, you know, I was kind of sitting here, and he was saying something. I'm going, you know, and I felt like in my, in my gut I was saying, y'all heard what he said right there? <laughs> that's what we teach at our conferences. So, so Will made that clear already, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you for the, uh, just for the overview, uh, our reminders of things that God's already spoken. So, guys, y'all, y'all know that we're, you know, the things that, we're, that God is leading us to say and speak at our church are not, they're not random at all. Everybody understands that, right? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, your minds are in, engaged. I, I know this is a lot to take today, and I'm going to try to be brief. I'm not, uh, but, but we've got to deal with what God's saying for us to do as a church. You know, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know, we're such a small church, and there's so few people, and it seems like we even get, you know, like even a lot of the ones that are here, our hearts are not in what God's already told us to do. We got it in our heads, but we're just not in it. It's like we don't own it. You know, last week I loved the language that Chris used of us owning it, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second in connection to what we're doing. But this is not, this, this can no longer be in our brains. Now, we've said that numerous times, but it still is just in our brains for a lot of us. We disengage from our hearts from even from, from the messages. It's so simple. You know, so there's so many levels at which Satan can attack the work that God wants to do through us. He's not attacking the work. I mean, he's attacking it, but he will not be successful because God is sovereign and he doesn't have to have us. Y'all with me? But wow, God has chosen to use us. Gideons, right? We're the weakest member of the weakest tribe of churches in this town. We're the weakest member of the weakest tribe. When you look around this, this group and you look around our little building and our little people and you think, man, we're all weak. Praise God. That's what we need to be. We need to be simple. This morning I was reading in Proverbs chapter, uh, I think it was 9 or 10, where it said, man, it's, it talked about simple men, uh, depending on the wisdom of God. That's us. We are dependent upon the wisdom of God. We do not claim to be somebody or have something to offer. And if by some, some, uh, I, I, by some work of the devil, you've been able to be talked into the fact that this is just another way of doing church, I invite you to reconsider being a part of the gathering place. Because we don't want you to just hang out with us. Uh, it's, it's a bad example to others who are, who are trying to work this thing into their heart, trying to join God to get it in their hearts. It, I, I, we don't care if you go to church somewhere, somewhere else. That's not, we're not here because we're trying to go to church somewhere. Y'all with me? Okay, I hope you're feeling what I'm, what I'm putting out because this is deep inside my soul today, man. I'm just saying God has got us here for a reason, and we are going to join God as a church, and we're going to do what God says. But it, but I can't do this without you. Will can't do what he does in this church and the elders. We can't do what we do here without you. I can't do what God's calling me to do on the mission field without you. And, and today I just want to un, unpack that for you. Last week when, when I kept looking back, man, you know, when, when Chris started speaking, I'm thinking, man, you are, I got, man, my spirit just jumped on the inside. I'm thinking, oh, God. He's saying the same stuff, and there's no way I said last week that I could unpack all that. I'm not going to unpack it this week because Chris did a good job. I mean, uh, Will did a good job unpacking the major parts of that. 
But I want to remind you of some of the things he said. Number one, he said 6,500, uh, there are 6,500 unreached people groups in the world. Okay? Now, that's the task of every church, every evangelical church understands that there's 6,500 unreached people groups in the world. We are not trying to say, where are the unreached people groups, and we go there. Okay? So I don't want you to be motivated by that, but I do want you to have that in your head. Because God is going to call us to unreached people groups at some point. And when God calls, we're going as a church. We're going to join him wherever there are unreached people groups. Now, we have done it. In Uganda, the mission, our missionaries our, from our church went to Uganda to an unreached people group who were not hearing the gospel, and they won the first converts of the, uh, in a small group or in a, in a whole area of the Karamajong people. And one elder received Christ, and before they knew it, 167 people in the village received Christ, which was, by the way, the word, the exact word that God gave them when they left. That I'm going to teach you there. I'm going to send you there. And there's no rain. It's been a drought for years. I'm going to send you there. And you're going to tell those elders what the word of God says. That if my people who are called by my name, first of all, you've got to be that, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I will uh, turn from their wicked ways. I will uh, hear their prayers and I will heal their land. And they literally said, God wants to heal that land. And it happened. Uh, and, and these elders turned to Christ, and these people turned to Christ, and nine out of those people, nine men out of those group wanted to become pastors immediately. That's only a work God can do. We, you know, we're going to we'll work here. We're going to disciple you for, what, 20 years, and then send you to seminary for three, and, and if you can make it through and survive, then you can be a pastor. Not anymore at the gathering place. You know, those guys are legit pastors. We, Will went with a team, and they built a training center for these pastors to, to go to, and they relocated our missionaries there to another place, and that, that work continues uh, with some people that were tied to our missionaries in Uganda. But God's going to call us to do that, and here's the thing. We're going, and not because there's 6,500 unreached people groups, because God knows there's 6,500 people, unreached people groups, and he knows where he wants us to go, and you're going to see that as we talk about Romania. God will send us there. He will open the door, and he'll put us there, and we're going to join him there. He also said that there's 3,000 unengaged people groups. That means there, there's, there's little or no church planting work in that group, definitely. God has called us to be a church planting church. It, that is our call for sure, that wherever we go, we're planting churches. That's our focus, that we're restructuring even some of the, what we're doing with missionaries to say we're about church planting. This is what God's calling us to do, so... We're going to support that work, and we want you to be a part of that. And so and within that uh, 3,000, there's 350 people groups that have no missionary engagement at all. The story has not been there at all. So we're going to unreached people groups, which is 2%. Uh, they have at least 2% or no more than 2% believers in their, in their country. We're also going to unengaged people groups. And even to those, as God leads, that have never heard the gospel story at all. Now, well, I'm going to correct you a little bit on your, your stat a minute ago. But he said that, that when you think about countries with unreached people groups, okay, that is, unreached people groups are little or no chance, uh, no uh, gospel work or church planting work in that people group. The third largest of those is the United States. 
That blew my mind. Okay, so listen. Don't think, oh, I don't feel called to go to foreign missions. Well, guess what? You can reach unreached people groups here. You can reach people that have never, been, never engaged the gospel before, even in the United States. Uh, so, so our call is there. The United States is the third most, has the third most unreached people groups. Now, when I think about the ministry of Paul, uh, last week, I'm so thankful that Chris saw this and said this. And I don't want you to feel proud about this. I want you to feel challenged by this for us to continue this ministry. But he spoke highly of the gathering place and how he said, I, when, he said when I think of the ministry of Paul, I think about the gathering place. He said, because that's what you're doing. You're out there, you're planting churches, you're su- supporting people in the ministry and, and missionaries, and you're encouraging them. And, and so I felt good about that, but we need to continue to do that, church. The church and the work that we're doing is making a difference. And I've never saw that, uh, I've never seen it as clearly as I do now. All right, so Chris also talked about owning the lostness of the people that we're around. All right, wake back up if you're not awake. We've got to hear this and unpack this for us. First of all, God owns the lostness of the people around us, number one. Okay? God owns the lostness of the people around us. That doesn't mean we don't own it too. I can't tell you how many times I've said to you guys, I want you to own this ministry. You know, a lot of you walk around like you don't own the ministry of the gathering place. You're here. You're, you, you understand what we're about. You keep coming. But you don't own this ministry. This is, this is not your building. These are not your people. In the way that you live your life, you're acting like you don't own it. It's not yours. So, so if, if, if I, when I disengaged from the pulpit, on Sunday mornings and started talking about church planting, a number of you felt really uncomfortable. You know why? Because who's going to do all the stuff that gets done? You know, who's going to keep reaching out and doing all that? Some, because some of you don't own it. When you own something, here's what you do. When some, you know, my car, I own it. And, and if, if, uh, if somebody drives my car and, and uses it for an extended period of time, and th- when they get re- finished with it, they're not just going to leave it somewhere because I own it. I'm going to find out. I want that car back, right? I want it. It's mine. And I'm going to step up. Uh, at my house, there were things that I wanted my kids to do growing up. And sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But when they didn't, you know who did? I did. And you know why? Because I own it. I'm going to take care of the place whether nobody else, does, whether anybody does or not. Do you feel what I'm feeling? Do you own the ministry of the gathering place? Do you even know what we're about? And if you do, man, you, we need to act like we own it. Let's own it. Let's really own it. Let's, let's make it ours and not just Glenn's or not just uh, Will's or not just for the elders or those few people that might show some kind of commitment to the church. So who owns it? First of all, God owns the lostness. But then if we're his, if we're God's children, we own it too, Right? Whatever God's about, we're about. And Jesus was all about the lostness. He wasn't about just maintaining anything. He was about going out to the people that were unreached, untouched, unloved, uh, unaccepted. And he, did, he brought them what uh, he brought them his, himself and gave himself to them. So listen, that's what the gathering place is about. Our name comes from Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Some of you don't know that, and others of you don't remember that. But that verse says that tax collectors and notorious sinners were gathering around Jesus to hear what he had to say. 
we relate to tax collectors and sinners. Not that we're trying to, not, not that that's just our goal is to help them, but that's who we are. We are the tax collectors and sinners. And, and as a church, uh, you know, there's not many times we're always trying to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, we're doing pretty good as a church. Don't do that. Allow yourself to understand that you are a sinner and, and you are totally messed up. And you are as much in need of the gospel as the worst uh, pagan that you know. We need God. And we find ourselves thankful for the grace of God at the gathering place. That's the message we have to share. Is we have, we have a message to share to people that no matter how notorious you are in your sin, that, that no matter how bad you are in the world's eyes, that, that you can come to Jesus and you will find acceptance and love. And you can come to us because we are his his children, and you're going to find acceptance and love and no judgment and no condemnation, and you're going to find grace here because that's what we found in him, and that's who he is, and we represent him. We are image bearers of Christ in the world, as we've been talking about. And so that's who we are. Now, what I'm finding as I go out, now, I've only been doing this, what, since, you know, really since the end of January, Going out and trying to find out, God, what do you want us to do? What I'm finding everywhere I go is this. Everybody needs this message. Every place where God's put me so far, everybody needs this message of grace, of love, un- and unconditional love and acceptance. The gospel message in, in truth. And God is the gospel. Y'all with me? It's not just words and an explanation of a process. God is the gospel. He is the good news. The good news is the person behind salvation loved us enough that he gave us his son, and, and with him will also, Romans 8, 32, give, freely give us all things. He loves us. He's for us. He dances over us, sings over us, hides our sins behind his back and removes them from, from us so that we won't even see them. And that message is not understood by evangelicals in the world. Not only by lost people, but by saved people. We have a unique message, church, in the South. Y'all with me? Y'all know that. It's unique. This is the message that God has for us to spread. And so Satan is keeping us beat down however he can. And just know that I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through, but I don't know what all of you are going through. But I know this. Satan will be relentless at beating you down because he wants his church to fail. When we started in the, in the back after the flood in the book of Acts uh, over a year ago, God immediately started showing us, giving us eyes to see Satan's attacks. And man, it was one after another after another. He's not stopping that. He may ease up for a little while so that you can relax and get unprepared so he can attack and you can forget what he's all about. But listen, he's relentless on that. And if you feel the attack of God, I mean, of Satan, then just know you've got to push through that with the truth of God. That's what the world around us needs to see. So we have that message. Now, I want to share two things with you that are going on and, uh, and tell you how you can help us. Uh, first of all, well, let me, let me start with where, where uh, Chris ended up last week. Own the lostness of the people in your neighborhood. Own the lostness of the people that you work with. Own the lostness that everybody at Louisiana College that you go to school with or at LSU A where you go to school. Own the lostness of the people that you're around. Just own it. And what does that mean? Uh, am I telling you to go out there and 
and push the gospel down their throats? Am I telling you that? You know, <laughs> Russ, you know better than that. Will described, uh, and, and Chris did too, he gave us such a good description of, of the, the, the brother that's close to us is the one that we're going to win and disciple. That's the ones that God brings around you. He brings around you, just keep your eyes open, but, but please understand that Satan will keep your mind and your eyes and your ears closed so that you don't even see those people. You don't see the opportunities that God is making obvious to you. He is making it obvious, and you still don't see it because you're so wrapped up in your own life or so wrapped up in your own job, or, and Satan will make it harder at your job, and he'll make your life worse, and, he, and he'll take all the feelings about the gospel away and church away, and he'll make you think about how bad everything is at the church and how bad everything is in your life. And he, in this world, you will have what? Tribulations or troubles. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. So we need to start seeing that in our own lives and revealing that to the people around us. It's coming. You're experiencing it now, I know, because we're on the, on the crest of a, of a beautiful move of God that he's going to use this church to do. Of all weeks this week, as I'm thinking about that idea and wondering, Dude, it, God, okay, I know you say this and you said it over and over again, Satan's trying to put doubts in my mind on Wednesday. No, Tuesday of this week. I'm sitting in the coffee shop at Hidden Grounds. Shout out to Hidden Grounds. I'm sitting at Hidden Grounds doing my coffee stuff and, and talking to God. And somebody said, hey, uh, Richard Blackaby's going to be in chapel today at LC. Well, y'all don't know, all know this, but Henry Blackaby, Richard's dad, wrote Experiencing God, which radically transformed my life and ultimately what you see in the abiding cycle is just a modern-day version with a few extra pieces of information of experiencing God, okay? Henry Blackaby is my mentor, bar none. Only met him once. Well, a couple, met him a couple of times. He preached at our church. When we, the first Sunday we ever had at Harvest, he came and preached at our church. Henry Blackaby, in the projects, in a gym. Anyway, uh, it was like God showed up. You know, he, he, this guy was just incredible. So, so Richard's all about abiding in Christ. He's all about abiding in Christ. And Aaron and I got to go to a meet to, to, that, to that day. I'm so thankful I did. Because he told the story that I thought I might be exaggerating a little bit. Because sometimes I do. And I want to be accurate. But he told the story of when uh, Henry Blackaby was in California with his family at a church. A significant little church. Uh, I, he didn't say the size, but a good church. Uh, his, his income was fine. Everything was good for him. And he got a random call from, a, from 10 people in a church in Canada who said, would you pray about coming and be with, uh, being our pastor and we can't pay you anything? <laughs> Does that sound familiar to any of y'all? I mean, can you come and we can't pay you anything? Well, does that sound right? Yeah. So would you come be our pastor? And he, he, he said, well, I will definitely pray. He prayed and God said, Go. He left his church, packed his family, went to Canada. While there, so the, Richard's telling this as an eight-year-old boy, he was experiencing this and going, are you crazy? And they drive up to the church building. It's got cracks everywhere. Can I get an amen? You got things broken up. It's got water in the basement. Can I get an amen? Got all this stuff. It's, it's torn apart. It's just terrible. 
And, and that's where the boys' Sunday school class was going to be. And so he said, we have to go. Daddy would make us get up on Sunday morning, even though we were the only kids in the church. We were the only ones going to be in the Sunday school class. We'd have to get up every Sunday morning and go mop the basement to get all the water out of the church. And then we knew Sunday school was over when the water came back up. <laughs> so we'd go back upstairs. That's what he, Dad, why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us here? Well, uh, after they saw the church building, they went there first, saw the church building, and now they go to their house to unpack. While they're unloading their stuff in their new house, a car drives up from nine, and with five people in it from 90 miles away and said, hey, we heard y'all were coming. Would you consider coming being our pastor too? And God said, go. And so he was pastor of a church here, and 90 miles away he's a pastor of another church. Long story short, those 10 people started 38 churches. 10 people who decided they're going to follow what God says to do, who, who decided it's not about us. It's not about us building this big. It's about 10 people who are willing to obey God and do what he says, and 38 churches were formed. And then he, he t- told some other stories, and he ended up with this. He said, I've got this picture of my dad who was, my dad was asked to be the National, prayer, uh, National Day of Prayer Coordinator uh, one year, and, and so he's at the White House having this prayer meeting on National Day of Prayer. And he said, I got this picture of George Bush reaching up to grab the hand of my, to shake the hand of my dad on the platform in the White House. And he said, I've always wanted to put a caption underneath it that said, George Bush came during the altar call and <laughs> received Christ. But, but I thought, what I thought was, man, 10 people in a tiny old rundown building that nobody believed would ever make a difference in the world has now done so much in the world and, and supporting their, their pastor and, and doing what their pastor told them to do and helping him to plant churches that he's, he's leading the day of prayer for our nation and, and George Bush is shaking his hand. From driving his car from California to a rundown water, probably rat-infested church, to the White House shaking the hand of the president. Y'all see the difference in what... The, the world around us is saying success is if we can fill the building up with people. The, the world around us is saying, and the gathering place, I think some of you think we've been saying that if we can just get enough people in here that will stay when things get tough and stick around, that things are going to be great. This is going to be a great church. Don't ever think that again. Get that out of your mind. Success is if we can get 10 people. 10 people who are determined that it's in their heart and they own this ministry that we're going to go out and reach people because people around us, four things. Number one, they don't understand grace. They don't understand the imputed righteousness of Christ. They understand grace for salvation, that Jesus' blood was shed for us, but they don't understand that after you're saved, you are now made perfect because God's, Christ's righteousness is given to you. And so they don't know how to serve God out of a heart that, that loves God. They've been serving God most of their lives out of a list that someone made for them. You know that. You felt that. Most of you have served in churches like that. You've been in that, under that bondage. And now you're free to, do, to live your life for God because you want to. The world doesn't know that. When I was in Romania, I, I, God blessed me with the opportunity to speak to pastors, and they don't understand that. Uh, when I'm uh, doing some other work around town that I'm going to tell you about in a second, It's not there. So this is what we have to give. We have grace, which is the core uh, of the gospel. And that's number two. We're going to share the gospel. It's a simple message, but it is the only message we have. At the gathering place, our message is the gospel. 
That is that, that we were lost in sin and Jesus, God sent his son to the world and Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a cruel death in our place on the cross. He took our place, he took our, our sins upon himself and he died and took our place so that we wouldn't uh, have to suffer the uh, uh, separation from God for eternity. He did that for us so that if we would believe in him, uh, that he would give us eternal life, that he would take our sins away and give us his righteousness so that we could be made perfect in God's eyes. That, and, and that he rose from the dead so that we can have life eternal. We will also, like him, rise from the dead. Not our, our physical bodies now, but ultimately we will even have physical bodies that will rise from the dead and we will be able to spend eternity in heaven with God. Life everlasting. He gives us life on the earth also as a part of the gospel. That's our message. That's it. We're not trying to get more complicated than that. It's a simple gospel. And that we want to walk and do life with that kind of God. Because who wouldn't? But our perception of God has been skewed. All of My perception was skewed most of my life. And all the way through seminary. Two different stints in seminary. And, and I didn't get it, but now I get it. And I... I, I'm passionate about setting people free, y'all. Are you? It needs to get in our hearts. We need to own that, right? And then the other things that we have to give is abiding in Christ, right? It's every day the Holy Spirit lives with you and in you and wants you to know what God's will is for your life. I love the song today, Holy, there's no one like you. There's none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are. How does that happen? Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, then I will love you and reveal myself to you, John 14, 26. He will show me who you are. You want him to show you who you are, who he is? Do you really want that? Then get in the word. Spend time alone with him. Pray. Get excuses out of the way. Push through. Spend time with believers together, talking about the Lord, studying scripture, digesting what God's saying to our body. Do that to you personally. Involve God in every aspect of your life, and you're going to discover him. He's going to reveal himself to you. Show me who you are. Show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. He's worthy, and we know that, and we praise him when we discover who he really is by experience through our lives. And then the fourth thing is, uh, is that we're, we are, God has called us recently, last year, to start doing more biblical community. So instead of us looking at other churches to find out how are they doing community, we spent a whole year in the book of Acts asking God, what would it look like, basically, if we were willing to say, if, like, um, like Francis Chan said uh, in his book, Letters to the Church, which we got at the end of this journey, right, which was beautiful, confirmation, but if we were on an island and all we had was the Bible and we were trying to figure out what is church supposed to look like, then what would it look like? And it would not look like most of the churches that we grew up in or even maybe what we are, in a lot of ways, definitely, even what we are now. And so we're trying to adjust to that, but that we want to give that away as well. To wherever, whatever ministry you go to, we want to make sure that people know how to live in community with each other. And that's it. It's four things. All right, so here's, here's, the, here's the things that have been happening for me, and here's how you can help. Y'all got your list out? Got you something to write with? Got your phone out? Don't play games. 
Now go to your notes. Because here's, here's where the water hits the wheel for us. It's time. Okay? It's time. It's not going to take me long to finish, so ease up. You're going to be all right. But here's, here's what the Lord's doing. Okay? So you know that I'm out trying to listen to the Lord, to go to places that would have us to go to plant churches. Through a series of events, which I, can, I will tell anyone that wants to hear the story, the whole story, because it's an awesome story. But as I'm trying to plant churches, uh, particularly, I'll give you this story. One of the places that we've talked about for a long time, been praying about as a church, is Natchitoches. Okay? And uh, Lance and Lori Lopez moved to Natchitoches about six months ago. Well, Lori was a key element in the beginning of the gathering place, and she was with us every day because she wasn't, uh, didn't have a job. And she didn't even have a kid at first. And so she was at the office. She was our office uh, administrator. And she and Kevin and I and Brandon, our missionary in Turkey, we would gather together because Brandon and them lived in the basement. We'd gather together er- just about every day and just talk about what the Lord's saying and what the Lord's doing. So she knows and understands who we are because she was part of the, all the foundation of that. And she buys into that. She's all for it. She's all, she's all about those four things I just mentioned. So I text, texted her on a Tuesday and said, hey, I want to get with you and Lance sometime in the next two weeks when you have a, a night open and talk to you about, uh, you know, and let's discuss a church plant in Natchitoches. She texted me back and said, uh, yeah, we definitely want to get with you, but it looks like God's bringing us to First Baptist Church. Now, I know we have visitors, so I'm going I'm to expose a little bit about my, myself. I, I didn't feel like God would ever be able to do what he's doing here in an existing church. Because I've had passion to do that. For I had a passion to, to move people into a relational focus rather than a, a program focus or a relational focus rather than a building focus. God had already put that in my heart for years. And I was in big churches and good churches that never would open up to it. And I just got frustrated and left because of that. And that's how this got started initially years ago. So I'm thinking there's no way. But some other ex- circumstances had happened prior to that. And, it, and because it's Lori and Lance, I thought, they wouldn't just go. God's got to be telling them to go. They have sought the Lord and asked the Lord. They're going there because God's leading them there. Again, it takes nothing away from First Baptist Church. All right, but God was telling them to go because I didn't even know nothing about First Baptist Church. And, uh, and so I called her the next day. And she gives me the whole story. Man, it was such a sweet story. One thing after another after another. God-sized things where God was just making it clear they needed to be there. I said, you're going to be disobedient if you don't go. So quit questioning whether you're going to be there. He is definitely, you know, that you can't get away from that. And so, but what God did that morning was get my mind thinking about, okay, God, are you, do you want us to also help existing churches? Surely not. But God's also kept us connected to the Southern Baptist Convention for some reason. I've always felt like it would be for us to be able to have an impact to help them to, to be able to reach this generation. And, uh, and then that, my, the very next thing I read in Scripture that morning was the story, and I'm just reading through the Bible. Okay, y'all know that. Reading, I'm in the New Testament at that time. I'm reading through Acts. And the, chap- the chapter that morning was about Peter and Cornelius. Okay, y'all know the story about Peter and Cornelius. Peter has a vision. God drops a sheet down in front of Peter and it has all this food that he's never eaten before because it's unkosher. 
And God says to Peter in the vision, eat that food. And Peter goes, no, no way. It's unclean. It must be a test, right? And God says, don't call anything that I call clean unclean. And God spoke in my heart immediately. The Holy Spirit said, you've been calling churches in your mind. You've been saying, I can't reach those. I can't. And, and I'm going to use you to do it. So in addition to church planting, I'm going to use you to do this as well. Now, it, there's, there was Cornelius also, and God has made this clear through that, through that morning experience. Cornelius was a, was a man who was, the Bible calls him a God-fearing man, okay? And he hadn't, had a, he hadn't discovered Jesus yet. But Cornelius also has this vision from an angel. The angel tells him to send somebody to go get Peter and to hear what he says. Y'all with me? So God was saying that morning, he's going to bring pastors. He's going to send pastors to me, to us so that we can speak these four things to them. And they will receive, they will hear what we're saying and will want that in their church. And we're going to help them to make that happen. On the heels of that, the very next week, early in the next week, on a Tuesday. So this was Wednesday. The next Tuesday, I get a phone call from the most, what I would have considered to be the most, and I'm not going to say who, the most conservative Baptist pastor that I know. Totally unprompted. I haven't even seen this guy that I know of or remember. We haven't had any conversation in 23 years. And he called me and left a message on my answer machine. And long story short, there's some circumstances that happened where he found out that we were doing church planting the way that we're doing, and we found out about small group ministry in homes and, and that we were focusing on that and trying to train those people to be pastors of those groups. And he said, I just want you to know if y'all are open, uh, I'm, I'm open to talking about putting a gathering place church in our building. What? Now, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Didn't at the time. <laughs> but the fact that God could make him call me was just, I mean, y'all realize that that cannot be not God, right? So one of the things we're doing right now is I've already got a relationship as a result of that. That was four weeks ago. I have a relationship right now with four or maybe five, five pastors, fifth pastor this week, five pastors who have contacted me. I didn't initiate the contact. There's been five pastors that have contacted me, and they don't know what they're asking for. That's what's weird, but they, but, so I've got to sit down with them and say, okay, how about this, how about this, how about this, how about this, these four things, can we do this in your church, and if we can't, I can help you. Well, in the, the meetings that I've had to this point, which have not been a lot, I've had three, I'm going back for more meetings. They're open, they're open, they're excited, they're desperate, and they're wanting what we have. So in addition to church planting, I want you to know we're also doing that. Now, so what do I need you for? Now, okay, if you hadn't heard everything else, which most of you have, I can tell, don't miss this, okay? This is where, again, this is where the water hits the wheel for us. I'm not talking about, I'm not coming to you and saying, oh, I need you guys to really help me. I'm coming to you saying, if you don't do this, nobody else can. And I'm talking about you, okay? I'm not talking about the people around you. You've been here enough. You understand abiding. You understand, you understand grace. You understand the gospel, all of it. You understand abiding. You understand what we're trying to do, feeling led to do in, Christ, in biblical community. You understand those things. You've been with us. Now it's time for you to own this ministry. And here's ways you can own it. 
All right, number one, your personal life and testimony. All of last year, we talked about living, living your life so that you know God in a way that it bubbles over into the people around you. Work through whatever's going on in your life to stay connected with the Lord in a way that that builds back up. Ask the Lord to do it. He knows how to do it. But when people ask you about it, tell them what's going on. Tell them why that's true. And, if you need, and bring them here. Or bring them to your life group and, let, and, and share that. Get that in their lives. Let them, let them feel it. Because here's what I'm experiencing. When I talk to somebody as I'm out there talking in, in, about church plants in new areas, and I'm talking about these principles, they're lighting up the way you did the first time you heard it. It lights them up. They want it. People want what you, Christians want what you have to offer because they're, they're tired of being bogged down with a heavy yoke of the burden of legalism. And they're ready for something fresh, particularly millennials and Generation Z, which is most of you, most of our church. God's, get, God's called you for a reason. Generation, you know, when Chris said last week that, I don't know if he said this, but that 66% of people that grew up in the, the teenagers, our college students that grew up in the church, when they graduate from college, they will disengage. 66%. They are disengaged. You know they are. They disengage while they're in college at a Baptist school for some of you. They're disengaged. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to find God because they knew they weren't finding him in the, the list and they need something else and you have it to offer. Please, let your personal life, your relationship with other people who are already Christians, speak it. Risk everything. Put it out there. Don't worry about it. You've earned the right if you spent time with them. So now it's time to share. They, they, you have an opportunity for them that they can take advantage of. And it doesn't matter. You know, some of them are connected to their church still, but they're connected. Some of them are connected, and they're dead. I got a guy right now that's going to meet with me into life in a couple of weeks because he's in a church, and he's, he's always grew up in a church. He doesn't know anything else to do, and he feels bad and guilty if he doesn't go to church, but he has no understanding of God. And he wants it. And so I don't care if you come join our church. That is not it. Y'all with me? But you need to be set free. And so we're going to spend time with him and whoever his friends are in his house, if he'll let us, over however long it takes to try and set some people free. We've we got to start thinking, I need you. I need you to do that. There are people out there, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, if I just had a testament, I wish you could hear Hannah's testament. I wish you could hear Melinda's testament. I wish you could hear Aaron's testament. I'm thinking, I wish you could hear these people's testimony of coming out of what you're in and so here's what we're going to do. Number one, do it yourself. Okay, when Chris said own it last week, own the losses of the people around you, own it. Don't force it. Get the people to be close brothers, close to you, right, so that you can begin to disciple. But start working on that. And we already have that. God's already spoken to that. What he said last Sunday, I teach that at my conferences, right? Bless, bless. Begin with prayer, listen to them, eat with them, serve them. And I know how to spell blessed. The last one is share the gospel. Don't start there. Don't feel pressured there. Build relationships. Probably nobody else is going to do that with them. So they need what you have. Some of us have forgotten how good it is. Because we've gotten distracted and we're thinking about religion and church and activity and work. Remember, 
that we're about the, what God gave us, this gift, uh, the beauty of what he gave us, of his grace and his love and, our, and, and what we're experiencing with him. All right? The second thing, in these, in these, uh, in these the church revitalization for sure, churches in the South, I need your testimonies. So as we start revitalizing churches, I'm going to ask some of you to come share your testimonies. To, and what I'm asking you to share is how have these four things impacted your life? How you grew up in legalism and how these things set you free. Okay? So start working on that. Pray about it. Don't feel pressured. <laughs> but feel a little bit of ownership, okay, that your story means something to somebody. It doesn't matter who you are. If you can share just the basis of your story, it's going to mean something to somebody. It's going to help them come out of bondage. And, and, and I'm already finding a need for that. Matter of fact, I've asked Hannah, and you can see her today after church, uh, to, to do a video of testimonies. So if you feel more comfortable kind of writing yours down, giving a chance to rehearse it two or three times, or even mess up and Hannah cut it, or, you know, dub in. She has the skills to be able to do that kind of stuff. And she's agreed to do that for us. Then on Sunday afternoons, uh, she's typically available. You can get with her, and she will set some times where she's definitely be available, where four or five of you can come to the church and share those things. So start working on it now. We need it now. We don't need it a month ago. We need, it, and we don't need it. We're going to need it a year from now. But we need it now. I need to be able to go to a pastor and say, "Just listen to this," and this describes what I'm talking about. Here's the difference. Okay, so people can see it in you, and it would do you well to to remind yourself of how God has blessed you by sharing your own testimony to yourself. <laughs> but we're going to do a, a, a collage of testimonies. And Hannah does a great job of putting that kind of stuff together and so thankful for her and she's willing to do that. So as soon as you can, people, as soon as you can, if you can do it off the cuff, do it. But do it with those four things in mind. We want to know how these things have changed who you are because these are the things that we're pushing out there that we feel like God's told us to push. These are our distinctives that Paul was taking from Jerusalem in Acts and he was bringing them to all these other towns. These are these distinctives. We want to show, show that. So testimonies. So we can use those in new sight. All right. And then Romania. Uh, most of you know the story here, so I've I'm, 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 I'm got some pictures because I know you're getting bored. Uh, but here's John Reeve. John Reeve and I are friends from college. And John and I uh, went to, uh, John's been going to Romania since 2002. He went on a mission trip a couple of different times, and then uh, because there was an orphanage there by uh, Buckner, the Buckner group out of Chicago had, had orphanages there, uh, and he went to bring a team of people year after year for about, well, for about three years he brought teams up there to do vacation Bible school and other things in the community of Roma people uh, who were uh, poor underprivileged, different culture, very different culture in, uh, in Romania. And these, these orphans were, uh, were also Roma kids. And so the, the Buckner pulled out of there, I think, in 2003 or four. And John and one other guy that he met from Chicago who was on, on a, team, a part of a team uh, decided that they, they wanted to, they had already both felt this burden to help these kids whose parents didn't have education, most of them, and the kids would drop out about second or third grade to help these kids stay in school 
so that they could get jobs and get and be able to support their families and and have a life. And so they started a school. They gutted out this building and built a. a it's not a school school. It's just a, a four school and after school care. But they can also get showers. They get three meals a day. Uh, they get uh, you know change of clothes. Uh, they, while they they put their school clothes on, their uh, point of hope center is what it's called. Put their point of hope clothes on. And then the workers will wash their clothes and have it ready for them when they leave. But they're tutoring these kids. They've been doing that since that time. And so I was visiting my grandmother, I mean my, my grandmother, my mother in ICU in Lafayette. And John's the pastor, the worship pastor at First Baptist Church. He comes over to visit and he opens up an opportunity. He, he said, hey, how are you doing? I just got back from Honduras where we, we were starting, where we, we were adopting pastors who were going to be gathering place pastors in Honduras. And doing church planting. And he said, really, y'all doing church planting? I said, yeah. He said, man, we've been praying for somebody. Because we have kids, 20 kids now that are graduating from high school that we've been working with since 2002. And there's nothing for them spiritually. And we just, we don't know what to do. We're thinking about maybe doing a youth ministry. But, man, we also talked about planting churches in this community of about 2,000 people. And so that's, that's where we started. So I get on the ground. So I go to Romania because I talked to the elders. Elders, we all said, yes, we're going. We're going to go see what's up. So I just go to listen. Very first morning, God puts me in the scripture of Gideon where he reduced Gideon's army to 300 and said, you have, or when he had 10,000, he said, you have too many for me to deliver you because I want them to know I did this, not you. And so Gideon reduces his troops, and from that point on, he's just totally dependent upon God. So I knew from day one, first morning before he even left the building, that this is what God was calling us to do, is to listen and to not take control, to just listen and do what he tells us to do. Also, in the middle of that same story, God tells Gideon to go down into the enemy's camp, and he goes down to the Malachite camp, and he listens by one of the tents, and God allows him to hear the fear in the warriors that they were afraid of God to boost his confidence, I guess. I don't know. But he tells them to hear, and I felt like God was saying, I don't want you to talk. I want you to hear. And so that whole time, I asked God to give me the right people to meet with, and I would just listen to what was going on. I know it's hard for you all to believe that I wasn't talking, but I was listening the whole time. And it was great. God opened up door after door after door. So here's the doors that are open for us. All right, first of all, in the city. I've got a few pictures of the city here. Where, where we stayed in the city in a hotel room. They don't normally do that, but John felt like we needed to, so we did, and it paid off. I ended up meeting with three pastors in the city. And, uh, and during, during my meetings with the pastors in the city, by the way, they had, the state church is the Romanian Orthodox Church. Okay, it's not anything like uh, evangelical church. All right, but it is Christian. They're open to Christianity there. And so we, we get there, and we... Uh, we go to church on Sunday morning. And, uh, and I'm, as I'm meeting with those pastors this week, I'm, I'm finding all the pastors have a need for, guess what? All four things. God shows me clearly through the things they're saying that they have a need for. First of all, the judgmentalism, terrible. I mean, it's, it's the way we all grew up. It was a, a list, and if you don't follow the list, man, how can you say you're a Christian if you don't follow the list? Apparently, you don't know me. <laughs> you're talking to me. I can tell you how I follow Jesus, and I, I don't know, you know, I'm not following the list. But anyway, 
that was there. So grace, the first two, definitely God showed me by all three of these pastors. And by the way, another pastor in the town where the, where the Point of Hope Center is. So four pastors. So we're going we're gonna to bring grace. God gave me that word about church revitalization the week before I went to Romania. So it's not just for here, it's for there. So I need testimonies there. I need people that will go and share testimonies with pastors, testimony after testimony, or share them on video that we can take that with us so they can hear what it's like to live uh, free of bondage to legalism because they need it desperately. This message has not made it to Romania. Not to the places where we, where we were in the cities. So we're going to do pastor training. We're going to do conferences on grace. We're going to do conferences on abiding in Christ. And we're going to do conferences on small group ministry. By the way, they want to do that, but they don't know. They don't know what to do. They were some, a couple of them asked me, what do you do? How do we, you know, we're, yeah, we have this problem. Can you help us? Yes, we can. God's given us words to speak. So we're going to meet with pastors. That's, the, that's tier one. All right? Uh, by the way, the worship service that you see up there, maybe? Yeah, that worship service, they sang our songs. It was a cool church. I had coffee when I walked in the door. It was a simple church. They sang our songs. I got to have headphones. I mean, I was singing in English. They were going like, what? And I was going like, what? I don't know y'all's either. So we sang, sang the same songs. And I got to meet with that pastor later in the week. He's not part of the four. He's a fifth pastor. And he has a heart for God. He has a heart for his people. He desires to see them come to know God by experience. And he's, he got out of a, a denomination in a church because he was tired of playing the games. It was like he was telling my story. Isn't that cool? The God's given us a church there, too, that does understand. Um, and then, uh, so, so we got to go to that service. All right. Then we start spending some time in the village. All right. This, the Point of Hope Center, just to t- again, just to tell you kind of what it's about. The kids come there in the morning. The school is actually right behind the Point of Hope Center of this village. And these kids from preschool all the way up to right, right now, eighth, excuse me, eighth grade, come to the Point of Hope Center. They come either in the morning or in the afternoon. Their school system doesn't meet all day. I know some of you kids would love that. But they meet in the mor- morning, and then they come to the Point of Center. Like, they all come for breakfast, and then they go to, the, point of, they go to the, the school, and then some of them stay all morning, and they do tutoring. They're helping these kids to be successful. And they have teachers that are hired by uh, Point of Hope Center. The Buckner Foundation is what they call it. And they train these kids up, wash their clothes, uh, teach them, and feed them. And then they go back out into the, into the community. All right, that's the point of Hope Center's ministry. Okay, they have very little. They have a little bit of spiritual development, it, I, and this is what they do. They tell Bible stories every now and then. Here's what we've already been opened. The, this door has already been opened. We've been asked to do it, and we're... And we're doing it, okay? It's happening, whether you're part of it or not. We're going to develop a curriculum that's going to teach these four things to children from the time they're preschoolers to the time they graduate, graduate from the Buckner program, our Point of Hope Center program. They're going to hear it every week. It may be 30 minutes a week, two times. It may, it may be duplicated. I don't know how that's going to happen because some of you teachers who understand kids and their levels of learning are going to develop this because you understand what it means to walk with God. Okay, I'm not that guy. I'm not doing that. That's not my call. 
but I'm confident somebody's going to step up and do it. So pray about that. Would you like to be a part of a team that develops a curriculum that these kids can have all their life so that the preschoolers are not going to end up being the same as the adults, the old adults are in, in that country? Starting from the ground up, just like we do with our kids. And by the way, that would be great curriculum for us to use here with our own kids, right? To have a curriculum that we could use that's a year's worth of different ideas. Well, if we do a year, they, they're there five times a, a week, five days a week. So we could, that five days for us would be five Sundays. So, I mean, we do a year. We got to tell our kids graduate from high school, <laughs> right? So it would, give us, it would give you stuff to use in the home with your children to teach them the things that God's told us to do, our distinctive. All right, that's tier two. To, to launch that this summer in July, we're going to go and do a camp, and I have committed us to write the curriculum for fifth through eighth graders uh, for 45 minutes a day for five days to teach them these four things. We're going to have a, un, uh, uh, an audience with fifth through eighth graders from that school who are going off to a camp experience, and we're going to get to teach them 45 minutes a day, uh, four days, five days. So day on grace, a day on abiding, a day on uh, the gospel, <laughs> grace, the gospel, abiding, and community. We get to teach that to these kids, to, to launch them into this, this opportunity. And then by the fall, we need to have it. The, wor the work is now. It's not later. It's now. We need to have that curriculum for those teachers. And, and my, my goal would be this. The teachers probably won't be on the retreat. Is that we could also have a team of people to go and teach the teachers how to use the curriculum. Like walk them through all the stuff. Just highlights of it. Help them to understand the, the core, uh, these core things. All right. So I need a team to teach teachers. I need some, a team to go to camp with 5th through 8th graders. It's going to cost you about $2,500 to $3,000. It's going to cost you. Everybody knows the condition of our church, right? Okay. Uh, we live from week to week right now until God changes that. So, man, where am I going to come up with that money? I don't, you don't have to worry about it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he wants you to go, he will provide. You need to have a test in faith if you don't already understand that. You need to have an experience of God providing. So the commitment time is not right now, but it will be short, you know, soon that I'm going to be asking for a commitment for some of you to do that. You can help. I need you. I need people that understand this. It's not like I can, you know, there's a group already gone, but they don't understand what God's done in our hearts and lives, and they can't give it away like you can. Okay, we've got to go. We've got to be the ones doing this. Uh, and then the, the third tier is the community behind the school, Okay. Uh, I don't know if you can see this through this window. This is out of the back door of the school. Going back there, this is out of the back door of the school. Okay, that's how close the community is. There are two thousand gypsy families, Roma families, living in this community. Two thousand of them living in that community. This is what it looks like. There was a factory. Go ahead to the next one. There was a factory there, and the factory closed down, and they came and squatted in these two apartment complexes. And then going forward, and then there's houses scattered out through all it. They got all these houses, and they're squatting in these houses. They, they are staying there. This is where they live. A lot of these homes don't have electricity. They just are living there. 
and two or three families in a home. That's the way that the Roman people live. So that's what it looks like. They, they told me there's 2,000 families that live in this area. Now, let me show you what the church looks like. That's the only, well, there's, there's another building that's, that's built that may be another church. That's the church. 2,000 families, that's the church. I met with the pastor, God bless. He has a heart like ours. Can you believe it? He's a gypsy pastor. He's one of them, and he has a heart like ours. He said, I said, man, how can we help you? He said, first of all, don't bring a bunch of stuff over here and hand it out to our people. And I'm thinking, you and me, bro. <laughs> we get it, because, you know, we've tried to do that numerous times. We, we know that doesn't reach people. He says, because they come for the stuff, and they never do engage with God. I said, all right, man, let's go. He started talking about relationship and that being the focus. He and the, the pastor of the other church that I went to, they are like-minded. And so that's our man. God's opened the door. He gave us a, a man with a like-minded heart. It's a Cornelius that God was working in his heart, and he's saying the same stuff that God's been saying to us. I, don't, I hope that gives you goosebumps if you're still awake enough to get them. I mean, that's a God thing, that he put us in a community of 2,000 families, and we get to plant churches in there. So we're going to do that. I don't know exactly how we're going to do all these things, but the vision that God's given me is to train pastors like we do in Honduras. We're not going to be the people coming to bring life to the community. We're going to come bring life to the pastors, and they're going to bring life to the community. And we're going to be used by them however we can to support what they're doing, how God's leading their ministry, but we're not going to take over. We're not going to do that. So that's a way you can help is, is pray with us. Some of you, you know, we have, we have four PhDs from the seminary between our two big churches. Big, this is a big one. Uh, our bigger churches. We have four, PhD, uh, four PhDs from the seminary there. We have five, seven master's degrees from the seminary in our two churches. We have uh, six or seven people who have graduated with degrees in ministry and missions from Louisiana College, whatever it was called when y'all were there. Uh, ministry and missions from Louisiana College who were ready to do ministry. And then we have multiples of others of you that know God well enough that you can go and help us train these pastors. So feel the call. Feel the call. We'll, we'll equip you to go, but we we got to get busy. we got to start now. Feel the call. Own the lostness of those people. And prepare yourself to be a part of these, these ministries. Starting where you are. Don't wait. Say, oh, I'm so excited about the mission trip. And then cuss out your friend next door. Right? We gotta, this is a lifestyle. It's not, there's not a dichotomy between what's spiritual and what's physical in your life. Or secular. There is no dichotomy. Christ is all, and he is the top of the list. He is the top priority. He is what you're called to, he's what you're living for as a believer. You might live for him in what, in number two, uh, your job, which is important to take care of your family, but he's, he, is, he is number one. If you're a believer, a disciple of Christ, he is, the, he is your reason for living. He is your reason for working. He is your reason for breathing. He is your reason for eating and being in the neighborhood that you're in. Learn to embrace what God's doing in your life. All right, one other thing I'll announce, and then we're done. I need somebody. We had to clean out the 251 property over here uh, because we're showing it. 
And so Aaron was, this past week, went and cleaned all that stuff out. So we had some stuff in the back. Some of y'all noticed the table in the back here. That table was made for us when we started the gathering place. It was made to put our rocks on. It was handmade by one of our members at the time. Um, I forgot it was back there. We brought it here. We're not going to put rocks on it. Uh, because so many of those rocks, nobody's, those people aren't here. They're not, you know, they, they, they thought they were committed to what God was calling us to do, and they weren't. And so I don't want to see another rock. But I think that's a great place for us to put a display of missionary stuff. Like our missionaries from Alaska, if somebody wants to help with that, I can get a group of people that will say, hey, I, I can do that, and I'm really passionate about it. Put bulletin boards up for our missionaries like we had in Tioga. Uh, we'll put missionaries, we'll put information on those bulletin boards about the ministry in these different places and then all the churches that we begin to work with as we are able to speak and say who they are. We'll put those up. But on the table, we'll put some stuff from Romania. We'll put some stuff from, um, from Uganda. We'll put some stuff from uh, Honduras. We'll put some stuff from Alaska and just have a little stuff for people to see, okay, that reminds us also that, that we have missionaries. And, and keeps in our mind what we're about, what we're doing. All right? Long enough, I know. So let's pray. Father, it's such a blessing to be able to feel the call. And uh, God, we, we feel the challenge also today. We know that we can't stay the same and move on from here that you are calling us to something that we need each other for. This is not my call. This is our call. And you've revealed that so clearly. God, as I begin to go out. And so I just pray today, God, that you will settle hearts to be committed to this above all things. Committed to your call. That whatever they're doing, wherever they're doing it, that they do it with a... With a with a, a spirit that's overflowing with joy and peace and contentment because they're, they're allowing you, God, to overcome the world in their lives. Father, this world desperately needs to see that you are real, that you matter, that you're not isolated to a list of rules and regulations, that you're not isolated to a, a selection of right doctrines and principles that you are person and you are the gospel. The fact that you would come down to us and engage us as a tiny church blows us away. We are just so <laughs> blown away, God, that you would call us to do something in this world. But we accept that and ask you to finish your work in us. Scripture has told us, God, that you are the one who works in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure. So give us the faith to seek, to pursue. Give us the strength to defeat the enemy. Give us the stamina to not give up when he attacks. And give us the plan that you have for us to bring this message to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.